Every life tells a story. Every day is a snapshot of where you come from and where you're going. It's what connects us and what sets us apart. It allows us to know and truly be known. Your story is living proof of an idea, the conversion of idea to action. The worst day of your life becomes the first day of your testimony. Your weakness gives way to God's glory. Your tragedy makes way for triumph. People are searching. What will they find when they look to you? You have a story, and someone desperately needs to hear it. You have a story worth sharing, with and for one another. I grew up in a middle-class family. I mean, it was what every person dreams of when they have a family. Two kids, two dogs, a cat. And the only thing that was missing from this family was a white picket fence. My parents then got a divorce all of a sudden. I wasn't expecting it. And at that point in time, I grew to despise God. Because not only did I blame God for my parents divorcing, I was also placing blame on myself. I was just fooling myself. I never really learned about Christ. I never really learned uh, what it meant for Him to be a part of my life. I never really learned what it meant to have God in my life. Eventually, over time, I would stop blaming God. But I really never became the same in my relationship with Him. My relationship with God at that point was um, dysfunctional at, at best. When I hit rock bottom, I decided one day out of the blue to drop everything. So I gave up my apartment, I gave up my job, and I said goodbye to my friends. I didn't know if I was ever coming back. I was thinking I was gonna start a new life. But when I went back home, that new life never really came. I felt that I wanted to go back to DC just for a little break. It just felt really strange, but it was as if I needed to come back. It just, there was this feeling that I needed to come back to DC and so I packed up again. My apartment that I gave up was never rented out. I went back to my old job and I spoke to my boss and she said that I can't give you your full-time job back but what I can do is give you a temporary one after I got my apartment after I got my job I just felt like things were just getting coming into place I had one per, one friend who kept nagging me to go to church with her she even said why don't you go to Alpha you'll, I think you'll like it the first time she mentioned going to church, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, because I knew that NCC was, it wasn't the type of church I would go to. I, I attended more traditional backgrounds, like a Catholic church or a Methodist church. And she said that NCC was, had met in a movie theater or, and a coffee shop. And I'm just like, who does that? She then said, well, I, I lead an alpha course. Why don't you come and join me, you know? Um, so I, I did. I went actually a couple of times to Alpha. Um, first time, 
I had only went to half of it. So I decided to do another session of Alpha as a participant. And that's where I met a good chunk of my friends. I guess that's when God decided to plant something, make it known to me that I'm on his mind, that he's with me, he's on my side. So as if he planted a seed through this Alpha course, through the friends that I met, and he just had me go forward from there. I decided to also become part of the leadership team within Alpha and lead my own small group. I just, I started loving coming to church every week because I knew that I was going to be surrounded by friends, people who supported me, people who would be willing to talk to me and just check up on me and be accountable because I knew that they were so excited for me that I would want to be excited for them and just be a part of their lives. We became a family of sorts. January of this year, I was invited to a birthday party, and it was an ice skating party. And I have a fear of ice. I, I gave it a go. I went on the ice, and I thought I was doing fine. I mean, I, I couldn't skate for anything. Um, falling all over the place. But I was trudging along, and I even laughed around twice. But when I came off, I started breathing rather heavily. And I couldn't catch my breath. Um, so much so that I had to go to the hospital that night. Um, they stayed with me through the entire process. My friends were there with me from beginning to end. About a month later, I got the bill, and it was for $2,800. At that point in time, I still only had a temporary job with no benefits. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I interviewed for a job in late January. I got a call from Salvation Army offering me a job at that point. And I was really glad to hear it. I was just relieved. But I knew that wasn't going to help my medical bills at all. Not too long after I found out I got the job, I was hosting a party along with a couple of friends. I mean, this was a party that was just being set up for a housewarming. And we were getting a few friends from NCC, from my Alpha community. And my closest friends sat me down and said, we want to let you know something. We've been doing this behind your back. We kept it in secret because we didn't want you to know about this until now. But we managed to raise nearly all of the money to pay your bill. And I was floored. I, I was so excited and so thankful that I was able to receive such a great gift. I know I have friends that can support me, but they have such a great quality about them, and they encourage me to join Alpha, they encourage me to lead Alpha, they encourage me to continue to go to church. My friends are my family here. I mean, I, I, I no doubt will come back to lead another semester, because I'm just feeling, I, it just feels pretty awesome to see that I am able to share my story and the people also willing to share their stories as well. God always has a plan for me. God always seems to get it right. 
and it feels so good when it does. Well, thanks to Tony for sharing his story, and thanks for all the people in that group that know that church is not a building. You can't go to church because church is not a building. You are the church. When I hear that story, I'm like, yeah, that's the church. That's a group of people rallying around a friend and saying, we're going to be the church to you. Aren't you encouraged by that story, man? That touched my heart in such a profound way. Praise God, and uh, I am loving this series, One Another. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Let me add my welcome uh, to everybody at all six of our locations. We're thrilled that you're here and uh, that you would take time out of your weekend to be a part of what God's doing here and believe that God is going to touch your life in a special way this weekend. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Carry each other's burdens or bear one another's burdens. We are talking about these 31 another verses and this weekend we zero in, we drill down, we unpack Galatians chapter 6. Now when I read this, if someone is caught in a sin, uh, my biblical memory goes to John chapter 8 And this story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I can't imagine a more awkward situation. That's about as bad as it gets. For what it's worth, where's the guy? Why is it the woman that's dragged into the temple courts? Things that make you go, hmm... They bring her to Jesus and they say, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, they were trying to trap Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. It says he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I would like to know what he wrote. We're not entirely sure. When they kept on questioning him, it says he straightened up, and I kind of like this. Like he just straightened up, and, uh, and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That is brilliant. I mean, that's beyond brilliant. I, I, I can't think 
of a more amazing comeback. Of course, he thinks of it on the spot. And, and I love this for so many reasons. I mean, Jesus risks his reputation to come to the defense of a woman who has made a tremendous mistake. I mean, the last thing that Jesus wants to do is indemnify adultery. I mean, that's breaking a sacred covenant between a husband and a wife, and yet Jesus comes to this woman's defense. It's almost like he says, you can stone her over my dead body. Now, the act of adultery is wrong. The legal punishment in this Jewish culture was death by stoning. This woman expected punishment. She deserved it. But Jesus loves her when she least expects it and least deserves it. And then he says, go and sin no more. Now, she walks right off of the pages of Scripture. We have no idea what she does, who she becomes, but I have a hunch that this was the defining moment of her life. This is the moment that changed everything. Why? Because if you want to impact someone's life, you love them when they least expect it and least deserve it. Now, it's so easy to love someone when they expect it and when they deserve it. I, if you're married, you know you don't even get credit for that. Right? Because it's easy. It's expected. I, I just don't know that, that true love doesn't start at the point of sacrifice, at the point of inconvenience, at the point when it's really hard to do it, when you don't even feel like it. That is our opportunity to express love to one another. Now, this is personal for me. I, I may have shared this a time or two with you, but we have so many new folks around here all the time that uh, I think I can get by with sharing it again. My earliest memory, probably five years old, was over at my grandparents' home. Now, they had a, a home on the Mississippi River in Fridley, Minnesota. Kind of one of those old homes with lots of nooks and crannies. Uh, I remember playing hide-and-go-seek. We had rubber band wars, and, and we'd often go over to, to their house and and uh, when my parents would go out on a date and, and uh, spend the night. And then they had this huge property. Um, if only they hadn't sold it. I was just there recently. And I was like, man, they own like half the river in Fridley. I'm like, wow, that would be worth a chunk of change today. Um, but we would go out and they had acres of land and, and we would play and, and just have the time of our lives. Now, when we went over there... Um, we could do about anything we wanted to. There was just one rule. My grandfather, who was a professor at the University of Minnesota, had a collection of fossils. And they were the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of any tree in the garden. Just don't touch grandpa's fossils because fossils are rare. And yet they left them sitting out there. And uh, I remember um, picking up one of those five. And I knew it was wrong. And it fell out of my five-year-old hands. And when it hit the ground and shattered, my, my five-year-old heart shattered 
with it. It, it you know how uh, emotion stamps memory, and and the feeling of guilt because I knew I, I was doing what I shouldn't do, and then the feeling of fear, knowing that not really knowing what was going to come next, but knowing that I probably deserved to to be disciplined uh, on the backside of my lap, and. Uh, and my grandfather walked into the room and kind of assessed the situation and immediately knew what had happened. And he didn't say a word. He picked me up and then he just held me tight. And I heard him loud and clear. Mark, you are worth so, so much more than a fossil. And my grandfather gave me my first lesson in grace. He loved me when I least expected it and least deserved it. And it stamped not just my memory, but I think my soul in a very profound way. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end, but... Wow, when someone loves you, when you least expect it and least deserve it, it changes you forever. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you follow Jesus, then you're going to have plenty of opportunities to love people the way Jesus loved them. People like this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I don't think it's our job to throw stones. Now, I think we call sin, sin. But I don't think it's our job to throw stones. I think it's our job to offer grace the way that Jesus did. And if we were a place where people felt like they would be loved and graced, I don't think we could keep people away. Now, I was just out in Vegas at a friend's church preaching last month, and it's a church of about 15,000 people and, and of every size and shape and stripe and color. I mean, it, it wow. Um, and I met so many people that, that um, many of them who work on the strip or, or um, and, and they have this little motto that's on the wall all over the place. It's okay not to be okay. And, and it's not surprising to me that there are so many people that would just stand up and say, my life has been transformed by the grace of God. Why? Because they've created a culture and atmosphere where it's okay not to be okay. Can, can I just say, Jesus said, it's the sick who need a doctor. Like, I said this before, but how, how crazy. Like, you get sick, and then you feel bad because you don't want your doctor to see you sick. Like, and so I'm going to try to get well before I go to the hospital. What? No, that's what it's there for. I think there are some people that feel like, well, man, I, I'll go to church when I get my act together. What? You don't get your act together and then come to God. You come to God and then he gets your act together. I mean, he's the one that brings healing and hope and restoration. He's the one that changes and transforms your life. 
Here's what I love about Jesus. You just see him loving people that everybody else has given up on. And, and, and you know what? That's you too. See, Romans 5 says that, that God loves us this way. It says, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we're at our worst, he's at his best. That's who God is. And that's who we're called to be. Now, here's what's amazing to me. Galatians 6 doesn't say, if someone confesses their sin, then you are spiritual, restore them gently. No, it says if someone's caught in a sin, not if someone even confesses, not even if someone comes to you. I I think that's huge. Um, Let let me talk about this for just a moment. Um, when someone confesses their sin to me, I'm hardly ever surprised by the sin for two reasons. One, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And two, I know myself so well. And I know that but for the grace of God. I, listen, I think all of us struggle with secret sins. And if you think you're an exception, then your secret sin is pride. (laughs) I don't know anybody that doesn't have some secret sin that they struggle with. And when someone confesses their sin, I'm never surprised by the sin, ever. Here's what surprises me, that someone actually has the courage to confess it. And, and that's why when someone confesses their, their sin to me, there has never been an exception to this. My respect for, for that person has never gone down because I'm just not surprised. My respect actually goes up because here is a rare person with the humility to actually confess their sin. Now, one of the 31 another's in the Bible is James 5.16. And it says, confess your sins to one another. I think it's probably the the least practiced because it might be the hardest thing to do. Um, But here's why it's so important. You can confess your sin to God and be absolutely forgiven. Listen, you don't have to go to a priest or a pastor. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. You can confess your sin directly to God and be absolutely forgiven. But that doesn't disqualify that the Bible says confess to one another. Well, why does it say that? Because I think there's something about it that's that's about more than forgiveness, I need to invite someone into my sin. Why? Because I need help. I need someone to bear my burden because I need someone to help hold me accountable. But it goes even beyond that. I think it's about creating relationships of authenticity where we don't fake it with each other. 
Because when I share my sin with someone else, then I allow that person, I give them the freedom to confess their sin to me. And then we carry each other. I think that this is something that's, that's huge. Uh, and that's why I appreciate some of these testimonies. Just the courage to say it like it is. Let's keep going. It says, restore gently. Now, let's be honest. We tend to criticize harshly instead of restoring gently. Here is the litmus test for me. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Don't point out the problem if you aren't willing to be part of the solution. I think that anybody can point out what's wrong, but this verse holds us to a higher standard. It says you, you shouldn't just be about pointing out what's wrong. You need to help people make it right. And those are two totally different things. Let me share a couple of things that I've learned in dealing with people and their sin issues. Number one, you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Any more than you can teach someone who doesn't want to learn. Any more than you can feed someone who isn't hungry. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I think on one level, you've got to take a little bit of pressure off your... This is not your problem to solve. This is their problem. Now, God wants you to bear one another's burdens, but until they're ready to change, and the biblical word for that, by the way, is repentance. I think repentance, I mean, technically, metanoia, change of mind, but, but I, I think, you know, my definition would be ready to, to change. A repentant person is someone says, God, I, I don't want to keep dishonoring you by doing what's wrong. I want to glorify you by doing what's right. I think that's Repentance, and until someone's ready to change, you can't really help them. And it's not going to help to throw stones. Oh, they're not changing. Let me pick up a bigger stone. <laughs> no, Romans 2.10, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Your criticism will not result in repentance, but your kindness might. If you can continue to love that person the way Jesus loves us and be long-suffering and show patience, then maybe you have a shot. Proverbs 26. I want to share this little thing with you. and I think this is huge. These are two of the most profound back-to-back verses in the Bible. Used to confuse me because they seem contradictory. You ready for this? Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Here it is. When arguing with a fool, don't answer. Don't answer their foolish arguments or you will become as foolish as they are. Very next verse. When arguing with a fool, be sure to answer their foolish arguments or they will become wise in their own eyes. I remember, you know, a point in time in seminary where I, was, I came across this and I was like, what do I do with a contradiction in the Bible? Because it, what is it? Don't answer, answer. And then I realized this is brilliant. Because if you're dealing with a fool, you can't win. It doesn't matter whether you answer them or don't answer them. 
You can't change someone who doesn't want to change. So you know what? We need to be aware of who we're dealing with. Now it continues. It says, watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Let me just make a little brief observation. I said last week we tend to criticize in others what we don't like about ourselves. I think that nine times out of ten, our criticism is a projection of our ego. And the more insecure we are, the more critical we'll be of other people. But if you're secure in Christ, if you find your identity in what he has done for you, then it frees you up. You don't have to criticize other people to build yourself up. Why? Because the, the locus of your security is not in yourself. It's in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. And, and so um, it says, watch yourselves. And, and here's my point. You've got to guard your heart. If you're going to get into someone else's sin issues, you need to guard your heart because there's something spiritual that happens that you become a little bit more susceptible or vulnerable. Now, does that mean we shouldn't go there? No. But it's saying you better be extra careful because don't be surprised if you get tempted with the very same temptations you're trying to help someone else with. All right, let's keep going. Then Paul says, this is the heart of the message. Bear one another's burdens. Now, the word bear is interesting. It means to cover, which then you get into theological ramifications because the word atonement uh, means to cover. There's a covering over our sin. Uh, but technically, it's all, it could refer to a, a, a roof that would cover a home. Uh, it's a protective covering. Now, it also means to shield or to guard. I think a good paraphrase would be um, to bear one another's burdens like, I've got your back, or I'm in your corner. It's this idea that I'm on your side, and we're going to get through this, and I'm going to help you. Now, I, I love it because I think the Holy Spirit sets the standard for us. Now, one of his names in, in Greek is paraclete. And it's actually a military term that would refer to a formation where soldiers would fight back to back. In other words, they would, you know, confront the enemy, but then they had each other's back or blind spot. Well, that, that's the name of the Holy Spirit. It's like, I got your back. I got your back. You worry about moving forward, and, and I'm going to cover your blind spots, and I'm going to be there. God is our defender. He is our shield. He is our refuge. And so in the same way that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and in that way bears our burdens, Romans 8 says that with wordless groans, he is interceding for you in accordance with the will of God. He is bearing your burdens in prayer in the very same way we need to bear one another's burdens. Now, there's a wonderful picture of this in Exodus 17. There's a, a battle between the Israelites and Amalekites. And it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And then two guys named Aaron and Hur held his hands up, just came alongside him, 
kind of one of these deals. Like, we're going to hold up those arms. And uh, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I I wanted to give you a picture before I said this. Everybody needs an Aaron and a Hur. And I think all of us have opportunities. This week, I promise you, with a roommate, with a colleague, with a family member, there's going to be a moment where they're tired and weary and you need to come alongside them and you need to hold up their arms and say, I'm with you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to intercede for you. You know, Earlier this year, I think this was huge. So many of our small groups went through the the circle maker. And I think what it did is it turned a lot of our small groups into prayer circles. A small group is not just about, well, let's study the Bible together. That's awesome. It's not just about weekly fellowship. That's awesome. But there's this one another component where it's about surrounding, surrounding yourself with some people who can bear your burden and you can bear their burden. I mean, I just, this group rallying around Tony and saying, we're going to pay your hospital bill is such a practical example of what I'm talking about. Now, it can be um, a financial burden. It can be an emotional burden. It can be a, a relationship that's not right, that's weighing you down. It could be a thousand things, but our job is not to throw stones. Our job is to figure out what is the burden that they're bearing. I I have always loved this. Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility even political hostility. If we could read each other's secret histories, it would disarm us. And we would say, how can I bear your burden? Well, how do we bear one another's burdens? Two practical applications, and then we're done. Listening ears, helping hands. This is not rocket science. It's almost like we can't even mess up this series with with poor interpretation. Like, let's not make it more complicated than it is. Sometimes the Bible is so blunt. Things like, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, if we could just get that one. So let's talk about the listening ears for a second. I think bearing one another's burdens means that I'm not just listening to you. I'm hearing you with my heart. I am feeling your pain. You have my undivided attention. That I am listening with my soul. I am responding in prayer. I am in your corner. Now, I think that most people's Problems Like when they go and see a, a counselor, and, and I, I thank God for counselors who are professionally trained. And, and, but I think most counselors would admit that it's not as much about them coming up with a brilliant solution. Now, often God gives them insight, and they've seen this problem a time or two in different forms. And they can just kind of, you know what, try this. And, but, but 
I think counseling is by and large about listening and really hearing the other person. And here's the funny thing in my experience that when I sit down and counsel someone, you know what? All they needed to do was just get it off of their chest. They just needed someone to listen to them. Let me just at least say it so I can just kind of verbalize it. Wow, I feel better. I love it. Sometimes people are like, man, thank you so much. I'm like, I said nothing. I just listened. But you know what? People need a sounding board. Sometimes it's just being a listening ear for a friend. And so before you speak into someone's life, listen to them first. Before you speak into someone's life, pray for them. You better not criticize someone without praying for them first. And then you better say, God, give me the word so I know what to say and how to say it and when to say it. Let me share one other little thing. And these are, this is my operating system in many ways as a leader in, in the way that I try to interact with other people. One of them is, is that Proverbs 26, that there are some, some situations where you're not going to win. And it's okay because you can't change someone who doesn't want to change. But here's another one. John 16, 12. This is huge. Jesus says, there's so much more that I want to tell you. And he's speaking to his disciples. There's so much more that I want to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. Now, it's the same word, bear. That He knew that they couldn't come under the weight of what he wanted to share with. There was more truth that he could have brought to bear on the situation, but they weren't ready. See, a huge part, I think some of us, it's a cop-out. One of the big problems is, is that we don't really listen because we're always thinking about what we're going to say next. And so we don't like, man, I want to make sure that I heard what you had to say. That's one mistake. But, but the other one is, is we just want to say it because we want to say it. And we don't care as much about making sure that that person can receive it. And so part of bearing one another's burden, sometimes it's a listening ear. Sometimes it's holding your tongue because it's not the right time. It's not the right place and it will not be received. You've got to be aware when someone's not in the right emotional state, if they're already beat down, you might want to help them back up first instead of beating them down more. You've got to know when that person, and you've got to disarm it. We talked some about it last week. You know, seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Like, why don't you pay a compliment first? And that will open people up to hear something constructive. All right. Let me close with this. Jesus said, Matthew 11, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when we hear the the word yoke, I think even if you didn't grow up on a farm, you still get it that, you know, it's kind of these oxen in a yoke that would plow the soil and a couple of them, you know. Carrying it together, it lessens the load a little bit than just one of them trying to pull this thing by itself. Now, the word yoke in a Jewish uh, rabbinic culture would have more to do with kind of the worldview or collective teachings of a rabbi. 
But, but let's stick with kind of the physical imagery here. Some of us think, well, like if I get in a yoke, like that just seems kind of burdensome. Well, no, what Jesus is saying, you come over here, you're already carrying a yoke. Why don't you get out of yours and come into mine? And uh, how many think that Jesus is going to carry his weight? And some of ours. And it's this promise. Some of you are tired. And I'll tell you why. Because you're trying to get this thing right in your own strength and wisdom. Some of you, you haven't felt true spiritual rest in a long time because you've been striving so hard. And what you need to do is just come to Jesus and say, God, I give it to you. Um, in another spot, it says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. You were not intended to carry this burden on your shoulders. But it goes even further back than that. In 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 24, it says that Jesus bore our sin upon the cross. It's that same word in a different tense. We're called to bear one another's burdens, but Jesus set the example. He carried the burden of our sin and he bore it on the cross in his body. You know what? He offers you two things tonight. One is mercy. And that's not getting what you deserve because of your sin. You know what? He also offers grace. And that's getting what you don't deserve. And it's his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the gospel in a nutshell. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the deal that's on the table, and this is how you find rest. This is why the burden is light and easy. It's because God says, why don't we do this? You take all of your sin and you transfer it to my account because it's paid in full by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm going to take all of my righteousness and I'll transfer it to your account and you get credit for what I did right. What? Man, that is too good to be true. But it is true. And that's why it's called the good news. Let's pray. Father, help us right now in this moment to respond. God, I pray for any person at any one of our services who has never come into your yoke, who has never invited you into their life, into their heart, who's never said, I surrender myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I believe that this is their moment when they're going to find rest. And I pray that right now they would have the courage to confess their sin. Let me just lead you right now if that's you. God, I come before you and I confess my sin freely. I can't hide it from you. You know the worst thing about me. And yet you still love me and you still invite me. You still want to spend eternity with me. And for that, I give you thanks. And I surrender my sin to you and I offer my life to you because you died for me. You bore my sin in your body on the cross. And so right now, I receive the forgiveness that you have freely offered to me. And I give you thanks in Jesus' name. 
Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, your life just changed. Now listen to me. It was a defining moment. Almost one of those moments where Jesus said, go and sin no more. We don't know what happens, but it changed her life. I believe in this moment that your life has been changed. You know what? I'd ask you to do a couple of things. Number one, let us be a church for you. Let us be a place where you can be encouraged and challenged and grow, where some people can be the church like the church was to Tony and say, you know what? We're going to bear each other's burdens. And then you know what? I'd also encourage you. We're talking about testimonies. We're sharing testimonies. You need to tell someone about the decision you made this weekend. Man, you need to let someone else celebrate the transformation that's begun in your heart. You know what? I have one more thing to say. Welcome to the family. 